Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Good Wednesday afternoon, middle of the week. Thanks for being with us on Hump Day. Richard Cross, Michael Borkey, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Glad to have you along. You want to be part of the conversation, you can do so on the C Spire text line. That number is 601 601- Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business, featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today about... uh, Learn more today, and you can do that by visiting the website cspire.com slash business. A bunch to get into. Fascinating reporting from Kevin O'Connor's at the Ringer about major, excuse me, about the, the NBA and possible plans to relaunch the season and go into the playoffs with a pretty fascinating format. We've got more details in Major League Baseball's proposal to the players on how to resume. Suffice it to say, the proposal is not being uh, uh, received well. Uh, by the players, and I think with good reason. We'll get into that this afternoon. Some, I guess, encouraging, certainly optimistic news from the University of Arkansas about their plans for not just a football season, but a football season with a full Razorback stadium, or at least as full as they can get it, given the recent struggles with the uh, football program. But, theoretically, a sold-out Razorback stadium uh, is in the cards for Hunter Juracek's Arkansas Athletics Program. So we will get to that as well. But before uh, we get to anything else, I think there's something that's really cool that's happening uh, right now. I was about to say, buddy, you're burying the lead, so I'm glad you're bringing this up. In South Florida at the Kennedy Space Center, we are 25 minutes and a few seconds from the anticipated launch of Elon Musk's SpaceX rocket. This will be the first time in a decade, a little bit over a decade, that a, an American-made spaceship, space shuttle, rocket, will launch from American soil with American astronauts on board to go to the International Space Station. It's not the first time American astronauts have gone to uh, space in the last decade, but it's the first time that we haven't had to uh, call Uber, also known as Russia, and uh, and catch a ride. So there are some things that are, are potentially going to cause a problem. These are the weather criteria that have to be in place 
to be able to launch. You cannot have sustained winds of more than 30 miles an hour. You cannot have wind shear. You cannot have thunderstorms or lightning. No towering clouds containing electrician. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, electricity in them. No cumulonimbus clouds, and no cumulus clouds formed uh, from smog right above the uh, the area of the launch. There's a question. Like they they are all systems go with the exception of the weather, and there's a little bit of question in and around Cape Canaveral, Florida. You'll have to forgive me for sounding a little bit giddy. It's been a long time since we've launched a space shuttle in the United States. Yeah, and you may have mentioned it, and I just missed it, but the first one that a private company is launching. I mean, this is a partnership. We're sending American astronauts up, and it's privatized. It's not NASA that built the rocket, which, uh, knock on wood, hopefully it works out well because that's just a good old American innovation and and whatnot right there. But uh, I've got the stream up, and apparently there was a lightning strike seven miles from the launch site. So um, I'm I'm with you. I've got it up right now, man. I'm, I'm excited to watch this thing happen. Yeah, so I've got YouTube TV at home now, and... You know, you can go to live television, or it'll give you like certain things that uh, are, are of interest, and you can kind of click on it. So it's the it's an uninterrupted ABC news feed, and they're showing all that's going on. So I'm kind of trying to keep up with that as we uh, as we go. Hey, Dad, Rippy, is the the launch of a a rocket into space? Does it kind of get you a little giddy? Does it take you back to your childhood? Um, I mean, it's cool. I'm I'm not as as excited about it as you seem to be. I haven't Who built been this? Elon Musk. Yeah, yeah. This is a SpaceX rocket. Oh, SpaceX Dragon is what it's called. And the coolest things, you know, you know, on... isn't that also what he named his son? What's his son's name? It was something absurd. Yeah, it's combination of Roman numerals and whatnot. It's weird. It's you like know... X Ash something. Strange guy. Brilliant guy. Yeah. Obscenely wealthy. Has bet on himself and has won and won and won and won. And Borky's point was a good one. Now, th- this is not like a deal where some company has gone rogue to launch a rocket into space and say, hey, NASA, suck it. That- that's not the case at all. But the United States government shut down the space shuttle program and that kind of opened things up for private companies to step in and try and fill the void. Uh, void. SpaceX is the private company that's owned by Elon Musk, who is a billionaire several times over, and he's worked in conjunction with NASA. So, so this is not, oh, we're just starting from scratch. They're working in conjunction with NASA scientists and administrators, and they're using the Kennedy Space Center, uh, what is it, Launchpad 39, uh, which uh, I saw Elon Musk say earlier today, you know, it's the most uh, technologically advanced and the, the best launch pad on the entire planet. So they've got some pretty good tools at their disposal, but this is SpaceX's rocket. It's not NASA or the United States rocket. And the coolest part about it, or one of the cool parts about it, it's all awesome, is, you know, on a, a shuttle launch where they have those pieces that break off as it goes up when they reach certain levels, and those... Yeah. It would fall the, to the, the ground. Rocket bo- the boosters. Yes. Those will land. So they will break off, and there's a barge out in the water that they will softly land on. 
It, it's incredible, Borky, because if you remember watching space shuttle launches as uh, as a kid, you would see the space shuttle itself with the rocket boosters attached, and he would, uh, you know, as as it would launch, it would go into the sky, and then the boosters would just detach and would go, hopefully, crashing into the ocean somewhere, and they would attempt to recover them. This is a far better way, I suppose, assuming everything works as it's supposed to, to be able to recover those and reuse them. I would think it has to be more cost-effective. <laughs> Probably so. I mean, just seeing this image right now of this rocket with the smoke coming out of it and everything and the ominous clouds in the background is so cool. Yeah. Uh, C Spire text line, will they have to wear a mask when they land? Uh, yeah, but I don't <laughs> think it's an N95. Have you seen their... The new outfits they're wearing, it looks like a, those are spacesuits yeah. from a low-budget 1990s space movie, and they've come to life. I was actually reading about those a little bit, and I thought, man, that doesn't really look what I kind of envision as my American astronauts. Um, and it's not. It, it It's like, yeah, low-budget space movie meets Star Wars with kind of like a technological edge to it. But as I was reading about them, apparently... They are extremely sophisticated, and basically the, the, the suits kind of tie into the rocket and the systems of the rocket itself um, technologically. I don't even know what that means. William in Greenville says that uh, Elon Musk got plenty of taxpayer money. Okay, so we own this rocket as well. Very good. And then a question, is this being televised on national TV? Yeah, I've got it on ABC. That's just the uh, first stream that I saw of it. I'm sure every news channel is uh, is carrying this as we're now about 20 minutes away from hopefully the uh, launch of SpaceX Dragon. Probably could hey, Dad, workshop I... that name a little bit more. Yeah, well, that's all right. I don't know that Elon Musk cares what we think. I, I get what you were saying, hey, Dad, because if you had asked me two hours ago, hey, are you excited about the space, la- uh, space shuttle launch? I'd be like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But... I don't know. It was like nostalgia just kind of washed over me, and I think it's really cool. I mean, the idea that we can take a rocket and shoot it off and uh, have it go attach to the International Space Station, and it was a private company that put this thing together, that's just pretty fascinating to me the more that I think about it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it's cool. It's certainly newsworthy. It's interesting, but for me, I'm, I mean, I'm just, eh, you know. I mean, I've seen well, never is based to watch it, and that's kind of a bummer, hey, Dad. <laughs> well, I mean, I can watch it right here on the TV. What are you talking about? So, so never dreams for you as a kid of being an astronaut? No. I'm scared of heights, man. I'm certainly not going up that high. Yeah, that's way high. You are, uh, you are correct about that. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting, uh, just getting started with you on this Wednesday afternoon. We'll take a quick timeout and be back on Super Talk Mississippi. Well, bummer. SpaceX launch has just aborted its launch time today due to weather issues. The next launch window is on Saturday. Um, fascinating, uh, a couple of things that um, that popped up that I, I heard there. There is a certain amount of fuel. I mean, like everything that moves, you know, whether it's battery operated or powered by jet fuel or just gas in your car, if you run out of fuel, you run out of fuel. And uh, flying around in outer space is not a good place to run out of fuel. 
and there is a very precise time at which they had to meet the International Space Station because it continues to move, and if they had to kind of chase it down, like there was a report just a second ago that said if they had had an extra 10 minutes, the weather looks like it was going to open up and they would have been able to launch, but that 10 minutes would have cost them too much in terms of fuel and uh, the precision needed to connect with the International Space Station, and so they had to abort. Borky, poll question submitted by a listener on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. Given the opportunity, would you go to outer space? Simple enough, right? Simple enough. Doing it right now. What, what, what is the answer for you, Borky? Um, mm, well, I hate flying, so... I, I don't know, honestly. I, I don't Sounds know. Like a no. I, I would love to say that, oh, yeah, I'd go to space, but, like, once you get in the rocket, I think that would alter things for me. Like, maybe if I was old, or, or if I had some kind of terminal illness or something, then, yeah. Probably so. But I don't know if you okay. could convince me, like right now at 28 with a young son, to get in a rocket ship and go up into space. That would scare me too much. Hey, Dad, I'm assuming your answer is decidedly no. I think that's a no. I don't mind flying, which is odd, but uh, I don't think I would want to do it. I'm pretty sure I would freak out, and that's probably space doesn't seem like a good place to do that. Rippy, would you go to space? Yeah, I'd go. Yeah. You know, the the funny thing is, younger me would have had zero, like, zero hesitation. Absolutely. And I think maybe a little bit older me would have very little hesitation. Be like, I, I've lived. I've raised my kids. I feel good about the odds on this thing. Let's give it a shot. I think it would be pretty hard for me to climb onto a rocket right now and fly into the uh, sky and try and you know hook up with the International Space Station given that I have a wife and a 10-year-old and a 7-year-old and a 3-year-old at home. I, I, I don't know. I mean, is it, is it more dangerous than getting on an airplane? Yes, I would think so. Is it more dangerous than riding a motorcycle? I don't know what the statistics are on that. They have a uh, an astronaut on set at ABC News, and uh, she said that for her first space launch, her first mission into space, in a 30-day period, they aborted the launch seven times, and they aborted three times on her second attempted launch. And I, I can't imagine like the uh, the mental toll that would go into that. I, I would think that it's like, can you imagine getting ready to play Game Seven of the World Series? Or Game 7 of the NBA Finals, or to tee it up at Augusta, or to get ready to play in the Super Bowl, and you get there, like you get to Augusta, and you have your golf shoes on, and you've hit range balls, and you're just about to go off the first tee, and the siren goes off, and they say, no more golf today. And that happens seven different times? Or you get to the Super Bowl and you go through pregame warm-ups and they sing the national anthem and everybody's all hyped up and ready to go. And then they go, yeah, we can't play it today. 
We're going to have to come back uh, four days from now. We'll try again then. I don't know if those are comparable emotions or not, but I, I, I would just think that that would be mentally exhausting. Mike in Oxford, who is maybe the world's biggest college baseball fan, says, I would go now, but only because college baseball season is over. <laughs> Pretty passionate there. Bo reminds us that the uh, space program equipment from the 60s and 70s was built by the lowest bidder. Yeah. I don't think that's necessarily the uh, path that Elon Musk took uh, with all of this. All right. That's enough uh, rocket ship talk for uh, for now. For some of us, it takes us uh, way back to our roof. We got another definitely for me in terms of would you fly to space? Is Major League Baseball in trouble in terms of resuming the season? Rippy, are they going to get it done or no? Yeah, I still tend to think they'll get it done, but uh, they're definitely definitely a long way to go, and they're definitely still pretty far apart. But I, I'm still cautiously optimistic. I think there's just too much at stake, but maybe I'm wrong. So the debate is over the economic piece, and I feel like there's enough news out there. You know, what, what, what were we talking about yesterday with, uh, with the strike from the 94 season? You don't remember the owners' names, but you remember some of the players that strike that, that struck, and you remember the frustration as a fan of baseball. Poll question number two. I don't know how many poll questions we're going to do today. Yeah, we can but, do 100. Uh, That's fine. Okay. I don't know if we'll do 100 or not. Poll question number two. If the owners and players don't work out a deal, will you come back to baseball when they finally resume play? Instead of 162, we're only going to have 82 games in a regular season this year anyway. Most people believe that we desperately need live sports. And now you've got billionaires and millionaires arguing about the, the pay scale. But I feel like there's enough information out there that maybe, and this kind of goes against my better judgment, maybe the owners are going to be the ones that are viewed as villains this time around if they don't get it done. Blake and Matheson says, I haven't been back since 1994. There are a lot of people that are like that. My dad is that way. Says, you lost me. You, you, you couldn't figure out your differences. Fine. That's okay. I'm out. According to Jeff Passan at ESPN, here's what's in the proposal that the owner sent to the players. Every dollar that a player is due would be paid at a certain percentage. The higher the dollars get, the lower the percentages go. All of the salaries for the season also would be prorated. So you're already getting less than half of what your salary would have been. I don't have a problem with that, right? So so you, you don't play a 162-game season, probably don't be deserve to be paid for 162 games. 50.6% of the games is what we're looking at. So one, one game above 50%. So it stands to reason that players should be paid 50% of their salary. Is it that simple? Do you agree that that's where it should fall? 
And and we'll go through all like the, the specifics in all of this. Or do you understand where the owners are coming from? Where they're saying, okay, yes, we're playing half a season. But we're going to play half a season with no fans in the stands. And so we don't have the revenue coming in. How do you expect us to pay you? I see where they're coming from, if nothing else. I'm certainly not going to side with the billionaires. I mean, seeing what the Oakland Athletics have done, I mean, cutting their scouts and and not paying their minor leaguers. In the Angels. uh, Considering who owns the team and what they're worth doing that is ridiculous. So I'm not going to side with those people, but I certainly do get that this isn't half the season, therefore half the revenue, because a large portion of the revenue does come from people being there. And if people won't be there... We, I'm talking as if I was an owner, don't know how much money we're going to make. We don't know. So for now, we have to pay you based on what we bring in because you're not going to get 32 owners, however many it is, to agree to just give you the money without them getting some in return. I see where they're coming from, and it feels like they have more leverage here uh, to, to make those kind of proclamations and put the line in the sand and not cross it. We'll get Haydad and Rippy's reaction to that as well. Are, are you on board with where the owners are coming from on this? Do Are you on board with where the players are, are coming from on this? Big, big, big numbers at play. But you're also talking about the best of the best on the planet. And they say that's why they deserve to be paid... At the level of their contracts. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. We'll take a quick timeout. Be right back with you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Wednesday afternoon. Hey, Dad, what's up? Are you, like, dreading the root canal? You seem like you're not happy. No, I'm fine. Are you happy? Yes. Kind of quiet so far today. Not interested in space. Kind of poo-pooed that idea. Not a whole lot to say. Just want to make sure you're all right, big big guy. Well, I appreciate you uh, your your consideration of me, but no, I'm fine. You, you you generally seem to be jovial and smiley, and you know, big old teddy bear, and yeah, kind of stoic today. I don't know. I'm just here. I'm just here, man. Okay. You sure, you're all right. I am positive. Good. Had to hear it. So, the proposal. Owners to players. Salary scale is this. From making nada to league minimum, which is $563,500, you will be paid at 90% of the prorated amount. So, cut the 563 5.5, and then you'll get 90% of that. The next tier, which is from league minimum up to a million dollars, you will be paid at 72.5%. A million to 5 million is 50%. 5 million to 10 million is 40%. 10 million to 20 million is 30%. 20 million and up will be paid at 20%. But it's not quite as cut and dried as just, okay, you make $25 million, and so we're cutting that $25 million in half down to 12 and, $12.5 million. And then you make 20% of that. You get 
the tiers all the way up to where you are. So the easy example is player called up for the minor leagues, original salary is league minimum of 563.5, prorated is 285.2. He would get 90% of that, and so $256,000 with the possibility of an additional five grand in postseason bonuses. Okay, that's simple enough. Big cut, but simple enough. Then there's Mike Trout. He is scheduled to make $37,666,666 this year. When you cut that number in half, so the prorated amount, $19,065,000 and change. And so he would get the $256,706 for the first five hundred and sixty for the league minimum. For the second tier... He'd get 160,000. For the third tier, he'd get a million. For the fourth tier, he'd get 1.5 million, and then in that top bracket, he'd only get 1.7 million. So Mike Trout, who is scheduled to make almost 38 million dollars this year, his total pay would be less than six million dollars. So there's asking guys to help you out, and to work with you, and then there's asking a guy to take an 80% pay cut. Seems a little egregious. Yeah. And and the owners do say that they understand the optics of it are not great. And it says, yes, it's true that seventy dollars or $100,000 a day to play a game is exorbitant. The players acknowledge this. This is also true. They have a gift. They are the best in the world at what they do. The demand for watching what they do has created enormous amounts of wealth for teams and therefore owners and players deserve to share in that. And I would go back to a point that was made, what, a few weeks ago when we were talking about this. And it was Tony Clark from the, uh, the the president of the Players Association who made the point. The owners are interested in you know some sort of a 50-50 revenue share, but they had no interest in a re- in a comparable revenue share when the oil spigot was just shooting straight up into the air. And it's oh, we struck oil, we're rich. We're not sharing it with you guys, though. We, we've agreed. We have agreed. You have agreed to what you will be paid. Go shut your face and cash your paycheck. We're not giving you anything else. But it's different now. See, the, the, the oil well is running a little dry. It's not just squirting into the sky. We don't care how much we lose. we got so much money we can't see straight. Things are a little tough now. Players, we're going to need you to share in the pain with us. And to me, there's real merit in that argument. Like, legitimate merit in that argument from the owners. Or, excuse me, from the player side of things. Without yes, a doubt. but then they hold the, all the leverage at the end, so what does it really matter? Yeah, I mean, it just... They Who have, does, the players or the, the owners? owners? The owners. They have all Aren't the they leverage. on the hook to lose $4 billion if the season doesn't get played at all? Yeah, but how much are they losing if it does get played? 
And what percentage of the blame are they going to share if it doesn't? That's that's the best point, I think. And it, of course, they would lose money, and they'd prefer not to lose money. And so there is something at stake if the season doesn't happen. But these are people that mostly have a diversified portfolio. And if baseball happens to not work out, at least for this year, they have other things that are making them a lot of money. There's a reason why they're owners of a professional sports franchise. If the players don't get any money, they don't get any money. You know what I mean? Baseball is all they do, and it's their only source of income. Baseball are things tied to baseball. They have so much more to lose than the owners do, even though the dollar amounts are less with the players. They have more to lose than the owners do. So at the end of the day, they have all the leverage. And to Rippy's point, I think I've said it before here, so forgive me for being uh, a broken record, but it doesn't matter who's at fault because the public is going to blame the players. If the players don't play, it will be their fault because we know who they are, we have their jerseys, we buy their merchandise, we, we know everything about them. But the average sports fan doesn't know anything about the billionaire owners, and most people don't even know what their companies are, let alone who they are or anything like that. So even if it's the owner's fault at the end of the day, the players and the teams are going to bear the brunt of the negative that comes from it. And they have more at stake to lose if nothing happens. The owners can just continue diversifying and still bake billions and hang out on their yachts, and they'll be fine. Players, if if they lose fans at a high percentage because of this, it, it may be hard for them to recover. Some of the opinions from you on the ceasefire text line. Big Daddy in Greenwood says, Omer, owners should take one for the team. It's safe to say the owners are billionaires. They've made millions, if not billions, over the last 10 to 15 years straight. One season shouldn't hurt them. Uh, just because they are the best doesn't entitle them to a dime. They should understand the current situation and be willing to compromise. The owners are right, in my opinion. That's why I stopped watching professional sports a long time ago. A bunch of overpaid crybabies. Somebody says, so it's, it's like It's not rooted taxes. in reality at all. What's not? The, the players are a bunch of overpaid crybabies, but the owners definitely should ask them to take 80% pay cuts. How, how do I'm we make this for, like a... I'm all for the ahead, players in this. I'm all for the players in this. The, the owners are billionaires. They can have one bad year. You, know, you look at it like a business. Sometimes your business loses money. It's not like next year when there aren't restrictions for, for attendance that the people aren't going to come back in droves and you're going to make that money back and, and a lot more. They can suffer through one year. It's not going to kill them. I, I don't think we're going to see. I don't think we're going to see you know the Steinbrenners and John Henry Williams or whatever the heck his name is. I don't know what his name is. The guy the Red Sox. John Henry. I don't think we're going to see them out, out on the street corner with a cup full of pencils. You know, trying to trying to scrape two quarters together. I think they'll be all right. Well, even if you go bankrupt as an owner, or whatever, you go bankrupt with this ridiculously valuable asset. I mean, the last guy that owned the Dodgers went bankrupt with it or whatever, and then ended up like quadrupling his investment. Whereas exactly. the average MLB salary is four point four million. So who's who's better equipped to take an eighty percent pay cut? Which I know that's only on the top end, but I mean. 
what five? It was five hundred thirty-four to two sixty-two. Who's better to withstand a pay cut like that? Probably the billionaire owners that already agreed to a terrible deal in March and are now trying to renegotiate. It's it's four billion dollars they're they're scheduled to lose, but it's divided among what thirty owners. I mean, they have the money. It's not like one guy's losing four billion. They're all going to lose what? Am I doing the math right? Seventy-five million. I mean, in reality, that is not a huge chunk of change for a billionaire. Everything you guys just said is is absolutely true, and it is exactly why they have the most leverage, though. No, you're not, you're not wrong about that. You're not wrong about that. What happened is happening in Oakland is a shame. It's, it's awful. Well, and I almost understand it more with Oakland, where they furloughed all their scouts and laid off a bunch of... of um, Employees, they're small market. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around Artie Moreno's Los Angeles Angels, who are a big market team, doing what they've done to their staff. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Quick text on the ceasefire text line. Jim Gallagher Jr. is going to join us on the Farm Bureau phone line for the uh, first couple of segments of the 4 o'clock hour. We will talk some with him about the match, about golf's return that is scheduled to happen uh, in a couple of weeks. June 11th is when we get our first PGA Tour event, what that's going to be like, uh, what the television coverage is going to be like, and uh, just kind of check in, generally speaking, with uh, our good friend Jim Gallagher Jr., uh, that's coming up about 10 minutes from right now. Uh, this was from Murray and Madison. Sorry, they are all overpaid anyway. anyway. Nobody worth that. No I in team. Except you're worth what somebody's willing to pay you. Jordan sort of took the uh, no I in team thing to town, didn't he? What did he, he say? Did. Was it Jordan or no Kobe that said it? Oh, didn't didn't Jordan say it in the uh, in the last dance? I think. But there is a me. There is a me. There's an I and win too. Meep. Yeah, yeah. The overpaid argument. I I don't like that. For that reason, mostly it's okay. Do they make more money than than I do? Certainly. But when is anybody buying a Borky jersey? You know, I mean, no one's paying 60 bucks to go watch me walk up to the plate three times. In most games, I may get on base once. I, there is great value. Mike Trout's contract is huge, right? $37 million. Um, he makes that, I mean, what, two, three, four, five times over for his team every year. So he makes more money than all of us combined, uh, to say the least, but there's so much inherent value with his existence that that's what he's going to get paid. I, I don't think that's the route that anybody needs to go down is calling them overpaid because the majority of the league isn't making that much money to begin with. And a guy like Mike Trout generates so much revenue. He's almost a job creator just by being on a team. It, he has incredible value in a sport that doesn't really market its stars that well. A couple of people, by the way, on the ceasefire text line say that they would pay for a Borky jersey. God bless you I don't know guys. what the mass appeal for that is, but, you know, at least a couple. Um, I just, generally speaking, have a hard time being mad at people for being successful and for making a yeah. lot of money. It's the, you know, it's the same thing I, when we do the college stuff and we talk about, you know, name, image, likeness, and people get mad about that. 
a lot of people who I'm pretty sure identify themselves as conservatives and capitalists get really upset when we start talking about market value and what people are worth. Yeah, and and I really don't understand that. You know, my argument on the name, image, likeness thing is like, I'm fine, pay them, but we have to establish that there is a baseline value for what they're getting right now. That, that sure. That's my only argument for the people who are like, pay the players, pay the players, they're making so much money. That's fine. I mean, that's fine. Let's give them more. Let's give them a chance to go earn more. But let's place a value on what they are currently getting because there is inherent value that's there, and it's actually value beyond just the cost of the scholarship and the cost of room and board. There is value in being a college athlete, even if you don't go and play professional sports. I realize that just went off on a tangent. My larger point is, if you went to school or didn't go to school, got a degree or didn't get a degree, went out and started your own business or you work for someone else, and you are good enough to have gotten to the highest levels of compensation for whatever it is that you do, whether you're a plumber that just happens to be the best darn plumber in the state of Mississippi, and the average plumbers make forty to $50,000 a year, but because you are the best plumber and people want to use you, you make $300,000 a year. I'm not mad at you for that. If you went to medical school and you choose to be a family practitioner and you make $130,000 a year and you're struggling to pay for your student debt, okay. If you happen to be somebody that spent 12 years in school and went to undergrad at UMMC and then had a fellowship at Harvard and worked at Mass General and are the best neurosurgeon on planet Earth and you make $13 million a year, congratulations. But that doesn't mean you don't deserve to make $13 million because another guy who went to med school only makes $130,000. That's not how it works. If you want to make more money, be better. Be better at what you do if you want to make more money. Don't sit around and go, they're overpaid. What a bunch of crybabies. Malarkey. They earned it. They're the best at what they do. Mike Trout has paid $38 million because there is literally not a better baseball player on planet Earth. You played high school baseball. You were good. You weren't even good enough to go to college. You don't deserve to make $38 million playing baseball. But after high school, you played baseball, and then you went to college, and you went and earned a degree, and you're a CPA, and you work for a big five firm, and you've made it all the way to partner, and now you make $6 million a year? You earned that. They don't deserve to make Shut up. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Wednesday afternoon. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. Let's go to the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team Mississippi Farm Bureau and check in with our good friend Jim Gallagher Jr. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm good. I'm back in Mississippi. was down uh, a few days in Baton Rouge visiting Kathleen and then the grandbabies in Texas. So 
good to be back home and uh, enjoyed that time. Hadn't seen them in eight or nine weeks and uh, was blessed to see them. So glad to be back home, but enjoyed those two weeks on the road. Jim, I'm, I'm sure like everybody else, kind of not doing what you're used to doing in this particular time of the year is strange. Have you adjusted to it yet, or is it still you kind of wake up every morning and feel like you don't have just a whole lot of purpose? Yeah, kind of both. You know, you wake up going, oh, what, it's time to go do it. Wait a second, we're still in this thing. You know, you, you wake up thinking it's gone, and, you know, the, the more days go by. And, I mean, we passed the time pretty good those first eight or nine weeks, but it was just it was like you said, you're, when are we going to go back to work, or when are we going to get to go back? Is golf going to start? Is Oh, we, when you know when is Golf Channel going to start up? And we keep saying oh, it's going to be another week, another month, and, and all that. You're right. I think that's not just for us. But I just think for every American out there, and and you know, when we were in Texas, I mean, you could tell that people were excited to be out, uh, just to get out of the house, to get kind of back to something different uh, than what they've been, and you know, we're starving for that, and people want to go back to work, and and I just think it's. Uh, we're, you know, we're finally getting back. We still have to be cautious. We still have to pay attention. But maybe that's what we needed to do in the past. You know, we just have to be aware of our surroundings. And things are going to be different. The way we do TV is going to be different. Uh, the way we produce it, what you're going to see, sports in general. So I think everything's going to be a lot different than what we're used to. Maybe that's a good thing. There was a lot of buildup to the match on uh, on Sunday, which had a different, uh, much different feeling to it than it did last fall when it was Tiger and Phil playing for $9 million and they didn't play very good golf. And uh, it just kind of felt forced. I don't know if it was the format or Peyton and Tom Brady being added to the mix or if it was the setting or just kind of the time we're in. Uh, I was listening to a podcast uh, yesterday, the the guys at No Laying Up, and they do a, a really good job, and they kind of pointed out that golf Twitter can be kind of a weird place sometimes, oh. and people just kind of love to complain, and nobody was complaining about Sunday and the way that it went off. Yeah, I mean, you know, you take Twitter for what it's worth. I mean, I'm on it some, but I agree. I think we're always, we, we just, as a, as our society, we just became so critical of everything, and, and we kind of lost touch with what, you know, what, now that we've lost sports for the last few months, we're going like, wait a second. Uh, and I think, like you said, I think it was a combination of, of having Brady and Peyton, two of the greatest of all time, with Tiger and Phil. In the middle of the summer, we haven't had anything really live sport-wise. Of course, NASCAR kicked in. And we're starving for it in entertainment. It was a great cause. The golf course is phenomenal. The conditions were horrendous. But one of the things yeah. I, I, I look at, we're so good at, so used to watching Tom Brady and Peyton be so great at their sports. And to their credit, they went out in front of, you know, six million people and played a sport they love, but they're just okay at. Uh, and they're not bad. But under, you wouldn't think with nobody out there, but under the pressure, they were feeling it. Uh, and, and of course, Brady played horrible the first few holes. And, and I think you saw, you know, Phil being Phil. Uh, Tiger was serious, but when it was time to throw a little jab, he had a pretty good jab out there. I thought Peyton was hysterical, uh, talking about, you know, with Charles, uh, being in the SEC, not wearing red and black for Georgia. Uh, I thought he was wonderful <laughs> in his dry humor. Uh, Charles was great. I'm sure you like that there, Mr. Tennessee guy. Oh, of course I did. Uh, I love the big orange tea on the side of the card. I actually texted Archie on his birthday and said, I'm looking forward to watching Peyton play, and he just sent me back a laughing face. So I don't know if that meant he thought Peyton was, uh, wasn't going to play that well. But he did okay. But it was, it was, I think it was a little bit of everything. Um, you know, the mic'd up. Everybody now thinks, oh, we got to mic up the players. And the players aren't going to go for that. Not in regular golf. Uh, I, I think the biggest thing for we as an analyst uh, in golf is when the players and the caddy are talking, 
you have to be, and we're told this all the time, and we you learn to do it. You have to be aware when they're talking, which you don't always know what's going to happen. You, as the analyst on the ground or in the tower, you just shut up because the people out there want to listen to the conversation about them hitting the shot. And, and usually, LPGA events or when Golf Channel does it, our mics get right up there and pretty pretty close. Uh, and I think we're told that a lot. You know, what we have to say is not as important as what they have to say. But we were able to get into it a little bit different. JT asked Phil, you know, what kind of shot he's going to hit, and he pulls it off. That's not going to happen in real golf. You're not going to walk up to these guys in real golf and get that. But if we can get the microphones a little closer, problem with that, you might hear some things you don't want to hear. Uh, but I, I think that would be better. So as a golf analyst, myself, you just have to be aware to be quiet when it's time to be quiet and let them do the talking. But I thought overall it was fun. At first, it looked like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be a disaster. But it would have been cool to play maybe nine-hole scramble, nine-hole alternate shot. would have been kind of fun. Uh, if you want to find something critical, it's hard to do at the race 20 million. That was phenomenal. Um, yeah. But I just think under the circumstances and, and what we're starving for, it was really great. We I mean, can't beat the ratings. But those guys, you know, like I said, we're so used to watching those guys be great, uh, and they weren't great at golf. But it was entertaining, and I think next time you need to get Charles down there to play. Now, that would be priceless. Of course, you'd have to have about a seven-second delay because he's going to throw some words out there. <laughs> yeah, and his swing has actually gotten a little bit better. We're visiting with Jim Gallagher, Jr. on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Jim, in the, in the process of what you were just saying, there were about 14 things you said that made me think, oh, I, I, I want to ask him about that, and I want to talk more about that. Thankfully, I think you've agreed to stay with us for a couple of segments. Oh, yeah. So let, let's start with, you said there's no way the players would ever go for being mic'd up during a round. We've all talked about the fact that that would be fantastic. Oh, Why yeah. won't they I, go I, I for it? They've tried it some on the Corn Ferry Tour, which it's, it is now. I think it was back on maybe the webweb.com back then. They had them mic'd up. They had like a temperature thing, a heart rate thing. Uh, Pulse thing. I thought it was cool. It was great to do it. I, I just don't know they're going to do that and have the wiring and all the stuff on them uh, because they're they're not used to that. Um, I, I just think it would be trickier to do that, it, especially in a in a tour event. I don't know if they would be acceptable. Now, someone said, well, maybe we do a uh, at the turn interview with these guys. Well, on the Champions Tour and even LPGA, or if Golf Channel produces it itself, we have on course guys that will do an interview during the round. You don't get a ton of stuff, but you get some stuff in there. Uh, that's maybe something we do to get some of that information, maybe at the turn where you have time to walk or there's a wait, you could, if they're more open to do that. The modern players maybe are becoming that a little bit, but I just don't think we're going to see them mic'd up. We're just going to have to do a better job with our, our mics closer uh, and, and, and maybe pinpoint more in there, I think that's the way they're going to see it. I just don't know that they're going to go for that. I, I really don't. You may get a couple, but I, I don't think you're going to be able to get them to do that. Jim, who would be the most interesting player on tour right now to have a mic on for the entire round? Oh, the entire round? Uh, DeChambeau would be very interesting to listen to the conversations he have. I mean, Jordan Spieth, you don't need to have a mic on because he and Greller go back and forth all the time, and that's when you, you can get a lot of stuff from them. I think DeChambeau would be very interesting just to hear him from the scientific part, the technical part, uh, entertainment part. You know, Bubba and Ted's guys are pretty fun to listen to it when they're going in that. Uh, you know, there's a few guys. Like, I think that's part of it, too. Phil would be good because he's very vocal. Tiger's just not going to say a lot. Uh, that's just who he is. Yeah, there there gonna... are guys that would be boring, right? 
Oh, absolutely. There'd be guys you wouldn't want to listen to. Uh, and I'm telling you, I've been mic'd up before, and you're not natural in that study. It's not natural because you're aware of throwing some kind of a foul word out there, reacting to a bad shot, or you're aware of what you say. And I think that's the tricky thing about having the mic on. I don't know you're going to get the natural reaction that you would get in this exhibition like we just had. If you had real golf, I just don't know that you're going to do it. I'm not saying it can't happen. It's possible. But for the most part, you're not going to get a lot of the personality out there. But I think with our mics, listen, you can actually mic up a a caddy possibly. That would be the way to go now that i thought about it. You can maybe mic up the caddy where you would get more things in there. let me ask you this. What's that? Does does wearing a belt pack, and and it was kind of like a belt pack on steroids for those guys. There were multiple belt packs that they had attached to the small of their back. Does that affect your swing, or or do you just forget it's back there? Oh yeah, it's just it's something on there you're not used to having. I, I I don't think you could do it. I mean, guys will have now they get the wireless iPods and and ear ear pods or whatever. But it's like having your your iPod in your pocket and with the wire going around it. Yeah, you can do it for a while, but it's going to get annoying. But I I just think that the the only way you could get something mic'd up is possibly do it with the caddy. Uh, and that that now that I thought about it, that's probably the way to go. Will some of the caddies be willing to do it? I don't know. But, I mean, I think you would get more information if you wired the caddy and then maybe the players. They'll be aware of what's going on. But some of the conversations in between shots are always fun. And it's amazing to hear what you know conversations guys have, what they're talking about, blah, blah, blah. That's what people want to hear uh, during that round. It's just I think the only way you could do it is maybe through the caddy. we got to get a mic on uh, Kip Henley. That would be a, a good start in terms of caddies. He doesn't seem to hold anything back on the old aforementioned Twitter. We've uh, we've got more coming up with Jim Gallagher Jr. He is doing a podcast now. We'll get him to tell us about that. Also, what we should expect when golf returns on June 11th at Colonial in Fort Worth. First, though, a quick timeout. Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm on Super Talk Mississippi. View on Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, Brian Scott Rippey. We continue on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Jim Gallagher Jr. is uh, talking some golf with us this afternoon. Jim, I, I couldn't help. I went back and watched the entire thing last night. I, I wasn't able to watch much of it on Sunday. We were doing some family stuff and on the lake and uh, so I went back and wanted to watch it in its entirety, and and I did that last night, and I found myself, and I don't guess you and I have ever played together, but you kind of know what kind of a golfer I am, just an average whatever golfer, hit some good shots, hit some bad shots, but watching that, and I would think a lot of people that play golf watch that and thought, I can hit a bunch of those shots that Peyton and Tom Brady hit. Hit a bunch of those shots better. I probably would have some bad one, bad ones mixed in as well. How much are we not taking into account the TV cameras, the mics, the fact that we're playing with Tiger and Phil, and that six million people are watching? That's and, and having those thoughts. Yeah, I think it's a hundred percent of it. And on a golf course, it's brutally hard in conditions that are horrendous. I think just the whole thing. I mean, everybody. It's always funny. Everybody thinks, "Oh yeah, I can do that." you have to get in there and do it. Now, think of this, and it's it's just like no. There's a few camera guys out there, a few people, but they know there's six million people watching this, and you're used to being so good at what you do 
and now you've exposed yourself to the world that maybe I'm not as good as, but I think you have to approach it in, hey, I'm, not, I'm just an average guy, and I'm just going to have a good time with it. I think that's why Peyton played a little bit better than maybe Tom. They're both uber competitive, obviously. But I think it's the combination of everything. And Jeff Newbarth was the producer, and I used to work with him at USA uh, uh, Network. I thought he did a great job because it was a different type of production than normal. Uh, and the conditions, I mean, it just were horrendous. I just know the medalist is one of the tougher golf courses you play uh, in the fact you're playing with Tiger Woods and, and Phil Nicholson. So you throw all those things in, and it's a lot. Everybody thinks they're better. It's like people that when we go to games, we think we can referee better than the referee until you actually have to do it. So I think you just have to be aware and put it in perspective. Justin Thomas, uh, my guess is that there's some guys that uh, that do what you do for a living that are on-course reporters that are glad that uh, he's going to continue playing golf for a while and, and not try to come in and take one of those jobs. He was pretty good, wasn't he? Yeah, I thought he did okay. I, under the, it, I think it was a format, too. He could kind of kind of be himself and, and jump in there. I thought he did a pretty good job with it. For I mean, I, I think you know our job, if you're not a very vocal and personal, outgoing type personality, you're not going to probably be very good at it. If you're a quiet, kind of just low-key guy, that's a tougher tougher gig on the ground. But I thought he did a nice job with it, and, uh, you know, he hung in there with those guys. I just think the combination of everybody. Barkley was wonderful. He was hysterical, as he always is. Uh, he, he could do anything and make it fun. Uh, I just think I'd love to see him play. I know Steph Curry said they'd like to play. I don't think we're going to see Michael Jordan play, but I, I think Steph Curry would be good because he's a really good player. Uh, you could put Jerry Rice in there; would be kind of fun. Uh, you know, he's a pretty good player. There's a lot of different athletes. I think what we saw is a lot of most of almost all the athletes with nothing else to do, and they were watching it and having a good time and throwing the uh, the, the jabs at them. So I think that was the, the part you had to just kind of embrace the format that way. And I thought they did a pretty good job. Uh, handle it like i said i didn't watch it all because it was with the grandbabies i watched the first four five six holes but uh all in all i i thought it was a pretty good production i will say i thought the uh, the alternate shot was a lot more fun on the backside than uh, than the best ball and it helped the pace of play as uh, as well moving along on the backside jim gallagher on your radio so june 11th is the day that uh, we are scheduled to have pga tour golf returning they'll do it at colonial uh, there in Fort Worth. I know players are absolutely chomping at the bit. How, how different is it going to be for them? No grandstands, no fans there, limited people on the course. It's just going to be like kind of growing up playing golf at, at your local course or the country club or whatever, except for the fact that you're playing for you know a million dollars. Well, yeah, that's true. And a lot of us would say there's a lot of times we didn't play in front of fans because they weren't watching us. So <laughs> you could go with that too, but I think it's going to be different. I think the production is going to be different. Uh, it's going to be limited on who they allow, you know, on the course with the production. I think the announcers are going to be located in different spots. Uh, you know, the clubhouse is going to be kind of a sacred area. They're all going to kind of travel together. They're all going to. It's just going to be a completely different than what we're used to. Uh, and it will be strange to play in front of really no fans. Colonial is kind of a really tight, small uh, golf course, so the fans when they were there, they were bunched up up on top of you. But I, I think in the next few weeks, you know, with no fans, it's not going to be the grandstands we're used to seeing. And I think players kind of feed off the emotion of the, of the crowd. I think they love that. Uh, everybody likes to show off. I think that's going to be different uh, for those guys. I think they're just so excited to play and get out like most of us. 
Uh, and I think you're going to see some rust. Uh, these guys haven't played competitive golf in you know, two or three months, and you're going to see some guys not as sharp, but I think you're going to see some great fields playing the next three or four weeks. And I think golf's one of the few sports that can do what they're going to do and get ready to go. Uh, and it's going to be great for golf. I know talking to Randy Watkins and even our club here in Greenwood and, and Mr. Brian over at Waverly, I mean, play is up. People are playing golf. You know, they've canceled yeah. baseball. They've canceled softball and soccer. I mean, parents have got their kids out playing golf. So for our game and our sport, this is a big time for us. This could really grab some more fans and get people out there playing. So I think from that part, maybe that's the good that comes out of it. But I think you're going to see some guys really wanting to play uh, it's going to be unique with the wraparound season, with the, you know going to next year, uh, and all the majors bunched up. But uh, I, I think guys are ready to go. I think America is ready to go, and we're ready to see some sports. But golf can do it, and I think uh, they're going to be kind of the lead dog out there. We'll see what happens. I don't want to run out of time without asking you about the podcast, so we'll keep that in mind. Um, are we going to play all four majors? Do you think it'll happen? <sighs> you know. I- yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, New York and California are still kind of they're kind of iffy on what they're allowing people to do. They may not have fans, uh, and I think you and I've talked about it. The Ryder Cup's got to have fans, or it shouldn't be played. Otherwise, it's you know it's just guys out there playing. But I think we're going to do it. Uh, and I, but I, I think it's going to be different than what we're used to. I think the way we watch sports is going to be completely different than we're used to. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I think we all want to get back to it. I think it's real important for college football to get going because a lot of athletic departments are really struggling. Life, people are struggling in life, too. But I think just for the whole thing, it, it affects so many things. And, and we love sports, and I think it's, it's time to get out there. But, uh, you know, I sure hope we do, but those are the only two that would be up in the air. Will we have fans at Augusta in November? Yes, uh, I think we will. It may be different than what we're used to, but I, I think we will. I think we can do it because, you know, it may not be everybody sitting as close as they were, but I think you can do it. Like I said, golf can be done. It may just have to be spread out a little bit differently. It may be like the old school, like we used to do, old tournaments, no grandstands and people just out behind the ropes. That may be how we're going to be watching. That might not be all bad. Uh, Podcast is called Only One Shot Golf, and some of the guests, uh, somebody named Sissy Gallagher, that was back in uh, in February. Yeah. Um, yeah, VJ Trollio has been a guest. Allie McDonald, uh, former Mississippi State star, now on the LPGA. Uh, college golf coaches from uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, LSU. Some men's coaches, some women's coaches. So, what are we doing here? Well, we try, the book was only one shot, and we try to. It, it, the first few podcasts was to promote the book, but I'm trying to get the word out, to parents and, and kids out there who are in high school or getting started. You know what makes an elite player? What do the college coaches look for? When they're recruiting them, how do they get a hold of the college coaches? Uh, how do they play in tournaments? Get some advice out there because there's really not a lot of information. And I'm bringing the coaches in there and how they got started, how they go looking for what they're looking for in players, instructors. I've got Chris Malloy, the old Miss coach, on this week. He was awesome to be on there. One of the neat ones was Missy Farkay. Her sister Heather uh, died of breast cancer and played the LPGA, was a star. Missy overcame breast cancer twice. She's now the coach of... Uh, Arizona State won the national championship as a player, as an assistant, as a head coach. Some cool stuff. Got John Killery coming up in a few weeks. So I'm, I'm trying to get a little bit of everything, get the word out to the parents. This is how, you know, if you really want your kid to enjoy it, this is what the college coaches are looking. They can have some fun with it. And just to get kids out there playing golf, that's kind of what I'm trying to get out there and what these guys have done in their careers 
and what they're looking forward to getting these guys to, to maybe play college golf and these gals as well. Jim, last thing for you. I don't know that Tiger actually missed a shot on Sunday, maybe pulled one on a par three a little bit. What did that say to all those other guys that uh, play on the PGA Tour watching Tiger in that form after this long off? You better watch out because he looks healthy. He's swinging at it great. And you better watch out because I think he's ready to go. Uh, I think that's the doubt. I, you know, I can't believe I would have said that three years ago, but he's looked great. I think he had time to let his body heal, and that's what he needed. And I think Brooks kept up. Watch out for him as well. He's had time to get healthy. I think it's going to be a lot of fun because these guys are going to play a lot of golf in the next uh, few months. We'll see how Tiger's body holds up having to play a bunch of golf in a short amount of time, but uh, I know we're all looking forward to it. My friend, always enjoy our conversations. You are the best. All right, buddy. Anytime. We'll get out there and hopefully play some golf. You guys probably give me some shots since I'm not playing. You're probably playing more yeah. than I am. Yeah. Yeah, you, <laughs> you can hold your breath and wait on that to happen. <laughs> all right, man. Thank you. Jim Gallagher joining us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Absolutely one of the best. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. We'll be right back. Well, an update on the whole question results, Mr. Borky. Yeah, let's see. Well, which one? We've All been, of them. We've been throwing them out there today. All right, so we'll start with the uh, the off-topic one and then go to the on-topic one. If given the opportunity, would you go to space? 51% of people say no, they would not go to space. 49% say yes. And the on-topic poll of the day, if Major League Baseball owners and players cannot get a deal done, which would cancel the season, would they lose you as a fan? I gave three options, yes forever, yes for some time, and no. 43% so far say no. 41% say yes for some period of time. 15% say yes forever. Hmm. We probably have a baseball-heavy following and audience, uh, people that, that like the sport more than the average sports fan because this state is baseball crazy. I would like to see these results in different places. Uh, maybe in a state that isn't as baseball crazy as this one, um, in markets where the baseball team isn't a big deal, like not St. Louis, for example, because they'll be Cardinals fans forever. But in a market that has successful other sports teams, would you get the same results here? I would like to see that. Yeah. Um. Because don't you think Rippy said this morning, he's a baseball guy, that they will lose, this will be damaging to the sport to the point where some of it would be irreparable. Why do you think that, Rippy? Because of the, what the results were of the strike of 1994 that I wasn't alive for, and given all of the circumstances surrounding this one, this would seem worse. Because at least you yeah, had part hey. of a season then. This would be nothing. This would be how many... I, I'm not a math guy, so how many days before a real actual baseball game is played if they don't have a season at all? And if the dispute is over money and the whole salary cap thing again? I mean... In a time when people so desperately want live sports back. Yes. I think it would be worse. 
And there's much more scrutiny and coverage than there was in 1994. Hey, Dad, like uh, like me, you were born in uh, in 1994, and I'm assuming remember the Major League Baseball strike at uh, at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, it really was the. It took so so 95. You got Braves fans back because they win you know the first World Series in forever after being so close several years in a row. But it really wasn't until a couple of years later when you had the Sosa-McGuire home run chase that people really came flocking back to baseball. Yeah, which is funny now because, you know, you came back because of a lie. But regardless of that. Who it, cares? It feels they like were hitting it, balls over the fence. And that's it was true. Fun. I, I feel like it was a much bigger deal in 94 than it would be this year for whatever reason. Maybe that's because baseball was just bigger back then and it's lost some of its, it lost a lot of its fans uh, back in, in 94. I, I was not one of them. It's, baseball went on strike. I didn't watch baseball. When baseball came back, I watched baseball again. So for me, I, I, it's not a huge deal, but I, 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 I don't know if irreparable is the right word, but there will be damage to the to their brand. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't think it's just going away. I, I'm just not sure that baseball can afford to. I don't know that baseball's got enough market share that they can afford to cede more market share to NFL slash NBA slash college football. It's a good point, especially now with in if the reports are true and that the NBA is not going to restart until late July, maybe early August. So next year they're going to be forced to do the December or January start to their season. So now you'll have even more competition if you're baseball when you come back. Uh, Probably different fan demographics, but still. I I think the people – I'm a perfect example of the type of fan that baseball could have gained and will lose in this situation. I'm not going to be that guy that's bitter and, oh, I'll never watch a baseball game again. But this summer especially – You have to watch a baseball game to watch it again. But the thing is – I do. I'll put it on sometimes. If it's a Tuesday night and there's nothing going on, I'll put on a baseball game. I, I I will casually watch Major League Baseball. I'm not anti-Major League Baseball. I just prefer, and that's blasphemy in this state, I prefer the NBA over baseball. So that's my my secondary sport of choice is, is NBA over Major League Baseball. But I will still watch it. If they were to find a way to come back, I would watch every single day. I would watch every day. Part of it would be the uniqueness playing in empty stadiums, but just the fact that we've gone almost 80 days now since Rudy Gobert tested positive for coronavirus and shut all of sports down. It's been almost 80 days. And I, as a casual, very casual baseball fan, would have been locked in at least once. And maybe that would have led me to find a team or a player that I like or just develop viewing habits of Major League Baseball and they would have kept me around. Maybe I would have bought a t-shirt or two and made it a point next summer to drive over to Atlanta and go see a game, and they could have grabbed me. But if they don't play, I'm not going to boycott it, but but they ruined an opportunity or will have ruined an opportunity to grab the sports fan like me, and there's a lot of me out there by the millions that are looking for anything, and all you need to do is get us in the door, and maybe you can keep us forever. And if they fail to, to start this season, they will lose people like me and the opportunity that they have in front of them to grab us for the first time. 
And, you know, the other thing is, with, and we're going to get to the basketball story, which is really, really fascinating, coming up in, uh, in just a few minutes. If the NBA is not going to start things back until late July, August, Major League Baseball has an opportunity to own a month of the sports landscape all by itself. The entire month of July can belong to nothing but Major League Baseball. Yes, you'll have some golf going. Yes, you'll have the the Bundesliga and I'm sure some other international soccer going on. But in terms of the American sports calendar, it's Major League Baseball all by itself for a solid month when people have been starving for live competition. I mean, to, to me, the, the, the opposite side of what you're saying, Borky, is Major League Baseball has actually got a chance to add to its market share. And if it's interesting and fun and it's compelling, then you're not going to lose some of those people just because the NBA starts back. I think they've got to get their act together. And I kind of went off on a tangent earlier. My, my, when I did, when I got fired up, it wasn't about, oh, the players are right or, oh, the owners are right. I agree with what um, Borky was it you or Hey Dad, or maybe it was you, Rippy. That one of the three of you said the players are gonna they're gonna wear this. They're gonna be the ones that are blamed, regardless of whether they are to blame or not. It's one of my few correct takes of the week, but yeah, that was me. Yeah. I, I think they'll. I think they're gonna have to wear that. My my kind of flying off the handle was with the notion that, oh, there are a bunch of crybabies that are paid too much. It's just, what whatever. We don't have to revisit that in particular. I think the players and the owners though, have got have just got to figure this out. And Rippy, what is it? They've got like four days to do it. I mean, is this an artificial timeline or like a real? The end of this week is they've either got to get it done by the end of this week or it's dead. I don't know about dead, but like there has to be major progress made at the minimum. They need to be much closer than they are by the end of the week. Can you get closer or can you get all the way to where they need to be from where they're starting? Well, you, you're asking a, 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 you're asking them to get to a point that nobody knows where that exists. Where is to where they need to be? What is the answer to that? Do, do you think this was the equivalent of the owners trying to go buy a, a house that's listed for a million dollars and going and offering 575000 for it, just like the, the ultimate slap-in-your-face lowball offer, just to see? No, I just think that, I mean, maybe, I mean, to some degree, I don't think it necessarily would be like that. I just think the Players Association, more of their uh, rift lies in the fact that they believe that the owners are trying to enact permanent and long-term change and using the pandemic to do that more so than this, the actual numeric value of what their salary is going to be this year. Is there a scenario where if they don't play this year, they also don't play next year because of the impending new CBA that's got to be done? That I would, suppose, but I would say that's highly unlikely. That would be a death penalty. 
Yeah. Self-imposed. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Quick timeout. We'll look at this NBA story, which is really fascinating when we come back. Think of World Cup soccer. And there's a, even if you're not a soccer fan, hey dad, which you are, there is a pretty compelling argument to be made that it is the most exciting tournament in all of sports. It's exciting. I wouldn't say it's more exciting than the NCAA basketball tournament, but it is exciting. Okay. I, I enjoy it. Okay. So, a hybrid of the World Cup and the current NBA playoff structure is something that they're writing about at the Ringer. Kevin O'Connor writes, Adam Silver isn't shy about trying new things. Late Friday night, the league office sent a survey to all 30 general managers asking for their feedback on several different formats to restart the season. One proposal is to replace the first round of the playoffs with a group stage in which the 20 teams with the best records would be placed into four groups of five teams. Mm -hmm. Teams would play two games against each opponent in their own group, and the teams with the two best records from each group would qualify for the second round of the playoffs. Eight teams would advance, and then teams would play seven-game series to determine the champion. So if you're allocating 20 teams into five groups, you would tier them. Four best records would make up tier one. Bucks, Lakers, Raptors, Clippers. Bottom four records would make up tier five. Blazers, Pelicans, Kings, Spurs, and you get the two, three, and four in between. And then the groups could be randomly drawn with one team from each tier going into each group. Do you like that idea on the surface? I absolutely love this idea. On the surface, when you dive down into it, I love everything about this idea and think it needs to become permanent, not just for one year. I like it to some degree, but in a year where you're trying to get the playoffs to feel less gimmicky and more natural uh it would like i would actually rather see this instituted in a normal nba season as opposed to this one uh because could in this the, not in be a, a good could this not be a good opportunity for a test run it, it could I, I would say that's probably one way to look at it that's actually what i mentioned to borky at the uh before the show started but at the same time like when the league kind of fears a lack of legitimacy associated with this year's title and I would be a little hesitant to do this if I were actually running the show there and do something this different when you're trying to make things as similar as possible also playing in a bubble on Disney's campus. So I don't know. I would actually rather see this implemented uh, in a normal year, but that's just me. Uh, I don't hate the idea by any stretch, but uh, this leaves more room for a champion that uh, would feel less legitimate. And my point in that is like, like, if the Rockets win this title as, like, a four or five seed or whatever they are, it kind of looks a little different because they didn't have to go to the Staples Center and win a game six or a game seven 
or whatever. Whereas if like the favorite Lakers, Clippers, Bucks, something like that one, you could almost argue it was harder because they didn't get home court advantage and had to play all these series in neutral sites. And you kind of lose the value of your semifinal uh, series where you kind of get in game four, game five, really game plans go out the window. You know exactly what the other team is going to do, and it's about playmakers making plays. Don't hate this but, idea. But what about... But, well, I was just going to say, but what about the idea that regardless of what you do, there's going to be an asterisk on the 2020 season? Are you sure, It doesn't though? matter how because you do Because if the Milwaukee yes. Bucks is a one seed win 12 games at a neutral site without home court advantage, I would actually argue that that's harder to do. I would agree with that. Then a there's going NBA to be an season. asterisk by 2020 because you took two months or three months off in the middle of the year. It's just Is there a an asterisk year. for the lockout season, though, in 99? Not that I've not that I because they've already played more games in that way more games. Do you do you really want to argue that this year hasn't been different though? It has, but like the lockout I'm not, season. I'm was not. Different. I'm not saying you wouldn't have a legitimate champion. But the lockout. But you just season, brought you it up. You just immediately brought up the '99 season. You had an example right there where you go, "Well, is there?" Well, I mean, you remember it being a different season. I don't actually remember it at all. But like, <laughs> well, because you were you in diapers have, still. Yeah, but but the same thing. What was the last one? Twenty LeBron's first title, right? That was a lockout year. I don't remember that yeah. differently. I, I, I guess my point is, who cares? Somebody carries the trophy off at the end, and you had a seven-game series to get to it. Okay. And if you go, well, that team didn't really deserve to be there because it was a weird year and they had a different playoff. Okay. Sorry. Somebody's won enough to win it all. Either. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I would think the league is wary of that, but who knows? Yeah. I don't know. I just kind of feel like in a year where everything is different than normal, doing something different, and then maybe stumbling across the fact that not only did we do something different, it's the best thing that came out of COVID-19 for our sport. Why not try something else? Take a timeout. College football fix coming back out. Interesting news from the University of Arkansas today. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, rolling into the 5 o'clock hour on this Wednesday afternoon, middle of a short week after Memorial Day on Monday. Thanks for being with us. C Spire text line is open. 601-879-4395. Equip your organization for simple, successful business continuity with a work-from-anywhere toolkit from C Spire Business featuring powerful resources like UC1 and Office 365. Learn more today at cspire.com slash business. C Spire text line. Um, This one from... I like this one. Long time... No contact. Listen every day. Love you guys. Thought. Wouldn't Brian Scott Riffey be four or five years old in 1999 and still in diapers? Somebody's got some explaining to do. That's from Jimmy in Hattiesburg. Wait, what do you mean? I said I don't remember it. And the only reason I actually knew that was looking up uh, what happened after Jordan split up and what the NBA landscape was that year. That's the only reason I knew it was a lockout. That went directly over his head. Yeah, the uh, point was Borky said, hey, you were still in diapers. And this oh. guy was saying, wouldn't you have been four or five years old in 1999 and you were still in diapers? I don't That's, even... Uh, uh, slow I, learner. I, 
I don't even know if that's over my head and just the lack of knowledge on kids, but yeah, sure. I don't think I was in diapers by then, but I'll ask my parents. <laughs> please, hey, please let them say yes. I love that. your yes. reaction, hey, Dad. Please, please let them say yes. Yes, Brian, you were still in diapers at that point. You were a slow learner. Yeah, I was only 60 months. Would, uh... <laughs> Would you would you do me a favor and text your lawyer mom real quick and ask her if you were still in diapers when you were four or five? I'm not because now I think about it, it seems like I mean you're go, you're rocking you're rocking into your first year of preschool at that point. You can't be the kid still in diapers. I wouldn't think get shoved into lockers. They're, they're called cubbies in preschool. Yeah, sorry, cubbies. Yeah, no door, no padlock, just open space. Mike in Oxford says doesn't have to be too high to get over his head. <laughs> That's true. Wow. Yeah, just killing him. Ouch. Tough, uh, tough crowd. Uh, tough time right now for the college football fix. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. When America needed Ford to build, they built. Masks, ventilators, and shields. When local communities and frontliners needed support, your local Ford dealers answered, and now they are open and ready to serve you. Special offers and deals across the entire Ford lineup. You can stop by a Ford dealership or go online to buyfordnow.com. They've made it safer to shop and easier to buy. Built for America, built Ford proud. How about this story? From Hunter Juracek and the University of Arkansas. Arkansas is preparing to allow full capacity for fans to attend Razorbacks sporting events this fall, including 76,000-seat Donald W. Reynolds Razorback Stadium when the season is scheduled to kick off on Saturday, September 5th. There's a joke for that. Are you ready? Yeah, you don't even have to say it. <laughs> Sometimes the jokes just write themselves. Student athletes in that. football, men's and women's basketball, who are not entering their first college semester, so returning athletes, are slated to resume voluntary workouts on June 8th. This is the date that was set by the SEC following the NCAA's announcement that you could return as early as June 1st. Incoming freshmen will return and report on June 29th, which is a unique decision by Arkansas and Hunter Juracek. Does not apply to all schools across the SEC. That's just what Arkansas has decided to do. Here's a quote from Juracek. Our number one priority right now is, in what we're preparing for, to have full capacity in each of our athletic venues this fall. We also have plans in the background, preparations in the background that are being made if we have to limit capacity, whatever that may look like, in any of our venues. He goes on to say we've sold approximately 31,000 season tickets for football. We've stopped selling any single game tickets for home or away games until we really figure out what that looks like definitively because we don't want to sell thousands of single game tickets to our SEC games and then have to refund that money or decide which patrons can and cannot attend games. So that's probably the only measure we've taken to date until we really determine what that capacity looks like. I think this is the first announcement from any school in the country where the AD has come out and said, our plan is to have a full stadium on September 5th. 
Have you heard that from anybody else? Have not seen that anywhere else. Well, Arkansas can plan to have a full stadium on that day. We'll see how it goes for them. You haven't seen very many plans in general. Like the the Iowa State one at thirty thousand people yesterday was one of the first I'd seen. That's like, true. Period. And nobody's really said anything. It, it's because they don't have to, though, right? I, I mean, that's because they don't know. But they don't know, and, and they don't they don't have to make those decisions in May, right? So. So Pat sent us a message yesterday on Twitter. It was either in real time or after the show. I just didn't see it in real time. Um, because we were talking about season ticket numbers, and he says he thinks that Ole Miss last year sold forty-five to 48,000 season tickets, which would include 10,000 student tickets as well. So it was like a thirty-five to 38,000 general season tickets, and then they include the 10,000 student, ticket, uh, student tickets in the season ticket number. That is a drastically different number than what Arkansas is talking about, where they've sold 31,000 season tickets in a 76,000-seat stadium. It's different than Iowa State saying that they had sold thirty or 22,000 and thought they were going to get to 30,000 in a 62,000-seat stadium. Forty-five to 48,000 season tickets in a 64,000-seat stadium is a much higher percentage of capacity. And, hey, Dad, I, I think, generally speaking, the, the season ticket numbers are pretty comparable between Ole Miss and Mississippi State. I don't know what the student ticket allotment is in Starkville. Right. But, I mean, if you assume 35,000 season tickets at Mississippi State, like normal season tickets, and then another eight to 10,000 in student tickets, you're talking about a comparable number, 45,000 seats in a 60,000-seat stadium, you're talking about 75% capacity. Yeah. The, the, the biggest uh, thing to me about this is, we, you know, we've, I don't know if we've talked about this, so there's going to be no away tickets sold. If you are a fan of Mississippi State, you are not going to go to Alabama, LSU, Ole Miss this year if, if these things are holding up. I don't know how they're going to make that work. They talk about wanting to do contact tracing. Are they going to tell people that you can't sell your tickets? If you buy these tickets, you've got to come to the game or just don't come because we want to be able to do contact tracing. There's just so many questions right now. This goes back to what Borky just said. The reason we don't have a whole lot of plans out there right now is because nobody knows anything and nobody has to come up with an answer today. And that's this is sort of why. There's just a ton of questions. and. I appreciate the enthusiasm and the optimism there for, for, from, uh, from Juracic. It's great. I'd like to see it happen, but it just feels sort of forced. You know, it, feels, it doesn't feel genuine to me. There are a couple of things in this story that came from 24-7 Sports, the Arkansas site. It may have been Brandon Marcello that wrote this. I haven't looked to see what the byline on it was. No, this was from Trey Biddy at hogsports.com. He says, we're taking a look at from the minute you arrive on campus. We shuttle roughly 10,000 fans per football game from outlying lots to our stadium. So what does that look like from a shuttle bus capacity? How do we queue people in line when they arrive at the gate? Do we have to just go to straight electronic tickets where there's not a paper ticket that you provide? How do we queue you in line for concessions? I think it's unrealistic to think we can especially in the hot September, that we can take a temperature of a fan that may have walked 100 yards to get to the stadium and that be an adequate reflection of whether 
or whether or not they may exhibit a symptom, so I think that's highly unlikely. He also goes on to say there will be a student-athlete who will test positive for COVID-19 on our campus, but I think we're equipped to handle that. We have a plan in place. All we can do is mitigate their risk to COVID-19. And there's a great deal of onus that will come on the shoulders of our student-athletes, the young men and women. They're going to have to take part in following the protocols and following the plan that we have in place to protect them and those they come in contact with. He's saying some of the things that we've been talking about. It's going to happen. Somebody's going to test positive. But he's also laying out that they've kind of got a plan in place, which is what we've been waiting to hear. How are you going to deal with it when somebody tests positive? Because it's going to happen. Arkansas says, we've got a plan and we think it's going to be okay. I think you'll see more announcements like this in the coming couple of weeks from other schools. Sports Talk Mississippi. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. So, hey, Dad, going back to the the Arkansas story with Hunter Yurichek saying their plan is to have a you know capacity available to fans. You you think just we need no statements or announcements? Period. Right now, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if we do. I think. I mean, people are going to want them, but for me, I want information. I don't. I don't want. You know, this just feels like it's just sort of blind optimism. I think. I think we're going to have football. We're going to have football, and I think they're going to let people in the stadium. But I don't think that they're going to let the full stadiums happen in the first month of the season. I just don't. And for for him to come out and say that, it just feels. It just doesn't. It feels sort of forced to me. It feels like I, I just. He wanted to give his fans something to be excited about. God knows they don't have any reason to be excited about their team. So he just he's it just it feels like a reach to me. Any thoughts on that? What would you like to hear from John Cohen or Keith Carter right now? Nothing, because I don't think they actually know anything. So I'm you know I'm doesn't we're, doesn't we're working on I, we're working on solutions. That's what I want to hear. I mean, isn't that kind of what they did though? I mean, isn't that what? Hunter Juracek did, though, was say, this is the plan we've got in place. And, yeah, we've got backup plans for limited capacity if that turns out to be the case. I don't feel like that's a realistic plan, though. You've got a plan for every scenario, though, don't you? You do, and that's you're welcome to say that. But for him to just to come out and say, our number one priority is to have full capacity... First off, your number one priority should be making sure as, as, as safe an environment as you, you can have. That, that should be the number one priority. But secondly, I mean, I don't, belie- I don't believe that he believes that. I don't believe that Hunter Juracek finished up that statement and said, you know what, I'm right, We're, we are going to have 76,000 folks calling the hogs on September 5th. Who does Arkansas play in that first home game? Ah, it's somebody bad. I've got the schedule right here. Of course, I say that. It's, uh, it's good. Kent State. Yeah. And then they go to Notre Dame, and then they go to Mississippi State. I mean, maybe he feels safe in saying this. Maybe what he really means, and he's just choosing to go about it a different way, is that 
we anticipate being able to have a full stadium when we play Alabama on October 10th. So, so stick with me. Kent State in the season opener. Yeah, I know they got a new head coach. But what are you? 31,000 season tickets. Maybe you let students in. Max of 50,000 people there? Maybe. Maybe? Yeah. yeah. And then they go to Notre Dame. And then they go to Mississippi State. And then they play Texas A&M in Arlington. And then they have Charleston Southern. So they're likely to be 1-3 in three coming home to play Charleston Southern where they're going to have what? Maximum of 50,000 fans in the stadium? Probably not But that close. gives you five weeks to get ready for a packed house against Alabama. That I might have had a little bit, you know, I might have felt a little bit better about. I, I just feel like we're, we're, we're but, dealing with a lot of unknowns. you can't say publicly what I just said if you're Hunter Urichek, if you're the athletics no, no, director right. at Arkansas. Well, then don't say anything. Just, we're working on solutions. We want to provide the best experience, but we want to have safety for our fans. And this is not the time for dealing with specifics, in my opinion. I guess I don't have a problem. So it was a Zoom meeting where he said this, and obviously was responding to a question. Our number one priority right now is to have full capacity in each of our athletic venues this fall. We also have plans in the background preparations in the background that are being made if we have to limit capacity, whatever that may look like in any of our venues. Would you have rather him say the most likely scenario is going to limit is going to be to limit capacity, but if it's okay, we're going to pack out the stadium too? Let me, let me, I mean, if you let just me reverse change. the order, are you happier let with it? Let me just it? change three words here. Instead of number one priority, just say hope. Our hope right now and what we're preparing for is to have full capacity in each of our athletic venues this fall. Then or I don't if he just says, we're preparing to have full p- capacity in each of our venues? Yeah, but when you say your number one priority, is, that, that doesn't, doesn't, rubs me the wrong way. For whatever reason. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Hmm. Borky, you pointed out something that's interesting. Juracek said that they have been advised by the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That would be the CDC. That it is not necessary to test every student athlete or every fan. They will, however, test student athletes who are coming in from hot spots or those who are exhibiting symptoms. Doesn't this fly in the face a couple in a couple of those uh, columnists who wrote Johnny Hot Take articles last week about the SEC says they don't care about this. They don't even have widespread testing. The word we either believe problematic the CDC or was, we don't believe the CDC. Yeah, the word problematic was used a lot, but I'm sure your Syracuse or Northwestern journalism degree taught you a lot about uh, diseases. Or Missouri. Or Missouri uh, taught you a lot about diseases like this one to where you know as much, if not more, than the freaking CDC. So, Oh, but Greg Sankey, oh, that's just tone deaf, right? It's... It's problematic that they are showing that they don't care about student-athlete safety when the CDC told them that they don't need to do that. Hey, Dad, wasn't it your boy Dan Wolken that wrote that big scathing article in pretty pretty strong Dan Wolken fashion? He's been he's been pretty strong on this topic the uh, the whole time. Said it was his I'm job sh- to ask questions when there aren't answers. So thank him for his service, oh holy Gannett columnist. 
I'm going to find it just for fun. It was a few days ago, right? God, he tweets a lot. My goodness. He shouldn't be tweeting much this week. He's on furlough. That still doesn't make any sense. Like, Oh, yeah. they And, and has to make an announcement that, yes, you won't be getting much of my content this week because I'm on furlough. It's taking me a second. This dude tweets a lot. Like, more in a day than I do in a week. And I'm on Twitter pretty regularly. Which means more than I do in a year. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, you tweet. He, he's done more... Occasionally. Since May 22nd than... Um... Oh, here's the headline. Ready? College football programs have figured out that constant coronavirus testing is expensive, so they've talked themselves into a solution, only test the symptomatic, which flies in the face of dot, 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 everything. Except, (laughs) apparently, the Centers for (laughs) Disease Control and Prevention. Whoops. Everything, though. It flies in the face of everything. I uh, I tweeted three times two days ago. Ooh, pretty good work by the uh, folks at yeah. There's some pretty good work from the uh, folks at News Mississippi on Memorial Day. Get to read about Captain Mac Huddleston, a uh, young boy in the Delta who grew up watching crop dusters, and it fueled his desire to uh, become a uh, a pilot in the Navy. It was one of uh, several stories that was up on News Mississippi on uh, Memorial Day. Be sure to check that out, newsms.fm. Hey, something else you may want to check out. This is pretty cool. Tomorrow on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, an interview with former Major League player Dale Barra. He talks about his Major League career, his struggle with drug addiction, and his famous father, Hall of Famer, the one and only Yogi Berra. It's in a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, presented by visitmississippi.org. You can hear the show each Thursday and Friday, 1 to 2, on most Super Talk Mississippi stations, online at supertalk.fm, and available wherever you listen to podcasts. Speaking of podcasts, you can get this show, Sports Talk Mississippi, as a podcast. And uh, you can also check out the Thunder and Lightning podcast and uh, the Rebel Report. Thunder and Lightning, hosted by Brian Haydad and Jolte Coleman. Rebel Report with uh, Brian Scott Rippey and Michael Borky. Hey, Dad, the uh, the long drawn out greatest bulldog ever ended with uh, a trophy for Dak Prescott. Is that correct? Dak Prescott was your winner, not a trophy, but he does have a free coffee waiting for him at Strange Brew Coffee House here in Starkville whenever he wants to pick it up. Courtesy of yours truly. Was it uh, was Upset it a landslide? City. No, fifty five forty five in the final uh, matchup with Jake Mangum. I think I voted for Mangum. Well, there you go. Did you vote? That's surprising. You can't vote in a poll that you create. Oh. Why do you say that's surprising? Um, He had a lot of success against Ole Miss, whereas Dak did not have so much. The the poll wasn't about success against Ole Miss. I just figured you were very petty. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Perhaps the biggest story of the day, outside of uh, the fact that uh, a rocket did not launch. That was a bummer. 
came on all giddy about it. Hey, Dad, and you're like, yeah, whatever. And then lightning strike happened seven miles from Cape Canaveral, and they shut the whole thing down until Saturday. They'll give it another shot. A pessimist is never disappointed, Richard. <laughs> Are you pessimistic by nature? Oh, yeah, big time. Is that a tough way to go through life? No, it's great. Never disappointed. Yeah, but I mean, if your glass is always half empty. I mean, just just how I look at things. Rippy, are you a pessimist by nature? I don't know. I think I'm a realist. Then you're a pessimist. <laughs> Borky, where do you fall? Um. In life, like in my life, I'm I'm an optimistic person. But as far as like my faith in other people, no, I think everybody's dumb. We are surrounded by stupidity. If the 24-hour news cycle tells you anything, it's that. Mm. Okay. So I'm the only optimistic guy around here. That's what we're saying. No, I'm I'm optimistic, just not when it comes to like my faith in other people to do the right thing. I guess that's what it comes down to. Nothing wrong with being optimistic either. It's 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 fine. I don't have a problem with it. Just not how it's just not how I operate. It was a nice little petty dig you got at me on the way out the uh, out <laughs> wasn't it? That there was, was fantastic no for a response. That's right. Uh, that was the final word. We can't go back to that topic either. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so, Major League Baseball, Jeff Passan with the story at ESPN, kind of breaking down the offer from the owners to the players about how to uh, go forward. The player's not happy. There's a salary scale that uh, goes from zero to the league minimum where players would be paid 90% of their prorated contract. So, basically, half the season. It's just using round numbers. I mean, league minimum is $563,000, but using round numbers, you make a million bucks, the prorated contract is 500000 you make 90% of that. Although that's not accurate because up to league minimum, 90%. League minimum to a million dollars, you get 72.5% of the prorated. A million to five million, you only get half. 5 million to 10 million, 40%, 10 to 20, 30%, 20 million and up. You get paid 20% of the prorated salary. There's more small print in that, but that's good enough for now. Um, the thing that apparently really bothered the players the most is that the biggest stars in the game, the guys who, uh, Mike Trout, the guy who is everything that's right about baseball, and this, this will bother people, right? I mean, just the reality is it will bother, bother people. He goes from making $216,000 a game to making 70000 a game. 70000 is more money than the majority of Americans make in a year, I think. I would say the majority of Americans make less than 70000 in a year. And yeah. he's taking more than a two-thirds pay cut. So, the follow-up in the article from Jeff Hassan, yes, it is true, seventy or $100,000 a day to play a game is exorbitant. 
players acknowledge that. It's also true they have a gift. They're the best in the world at what they do. The demand for that has created enormous wealth for teams. Players deserve to share in that. And the idea of the highest paid players potentially giving up something that, so that those who make less can reap the benefits isn't inherently wrong. But this felt absolutely egregious to players. And it's why their counteroffer to Major League Baseball is going to look drastically different. All right, so it's one thing to just ask questions and throw stones at ideas, but give me an idea that works. What's fair? Eh, no, 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 no. Fair's a bad word. Fair's cotton candy and milk jug toss to win a stuffed animal. What makes sense? What would be a reasonable compromise between the owners who are going to lose money and the players who are under contract to play at the highest levels? It's a really good question. What would question. you propose? Um, I... I think if I were the owners, I, I would propose the revenue split. I, I, and that's that's a conversation that maybe for a different day, but every other major professional sport in this country has a salary cap. And so um, it's not like they'd be asking for something unprecedented. But since the revenue is, uh, you're unsure about what it would be, I think that if they would have agreed upon it at the beginning, would have been a fair proposal to start with. But since they started with the prorated salary, that should be what is uh, followed up on and agreed upon because that's what they initially did. I mean, you can't just go back on something that you offered initially, but if I were in the owner's shoes, I would have offered the revenue, the 50-50 split immediately and tried to force that issue then instead of giving a proposal, going back on it, trying to alter it, because now, even though nobody's really talking about the owners as much as they are the players, uh, the owners are awful for doing that. It's just, it's just you shady made a bad business. deal. You now you realize you now realize you made a bad deal, and so you want to try and renegotiate the deal. There was language in that deal that said that there would be a, quote good faith discussions if the return included no fans, which is kind of shocking that they thought that this would be over with and then you just return with fans in the stands. But that was included in that deal in March. And the prorated thing is fair, right? Like, I, I work six days a week here. If for whatever reason FM signals only worked three days a week instead of the six that I work, and so I can only work three days a week, I expect my salary to be cut in half because I'm only working half the days. So the, the prorated salary, based on number of games played, is fair. Even though the revenue is different because there's no fans in the stands, that makes the most sense for all parties, and they're still not going to do that. But that seems to me like the most fair proposal, right? Because it's not the players' fault they're playing games without fans in the stands. They're doing the sa- half of the work they would have done. So you should get half the pay for half the work, and if, you have, if you're the owners and they have to eat some of the costs with not having fans, so be it. But that seems like the most rational, logical, and fair. Half the work, half the pay. Yeah, just we're going to prorate your salary by however many games you play. Period. No further deductions. That's it. 
But that the prorated salary was based on the idea of having fans in the stands, was it not? Right, and that's that's. But but that was a bad decision you made in agreeing to that. And I know the whole. But if you leave the possibility open, renegotiate. If you come back without fans in the stands, then it's not completely bad faith. I'm not a fan of the owners asking for this much money to be slashed. But like, it's not like they're like breaching the agreement by asking this. Is the proposal they sent to the players that we're talking about today a good faith proposal that they expected the players to agree upon? No, it's absolutely no. a starting point. Which right. goes yeah, back absolutely. to the example I used earlier when I said, okay, you're, there's, there's a house that's on the market for a million dollars and you want to try and get a steal and so you offer 575000 for it. Knowing full well that you're willing to pay 850000 for the house and feel like you got a good deal, but let me just see if they'll bite. And if they won't bite, then we'll work our way up to that. And if I'm willing to pay 850000 for it, and they completely ignored me at 575 but they ultimately agree at 775 then I save $75,000 in the long run. See, everything we do is driven by negotiation, and that's part of what kind of drives you crazy. Like, like Jane and I have had discussions before when we've looked at houses or thought about making offers on houses where we're like, you know what, Let, let's not make a lowball offer. Let's just make an offer that says, we believe this is a fair price, and this is what we can afford to pay, take it or leave it. The problem with that is not everybody negotiates that way and you can't help but get past the feeling of, well, did we leave money on the table? You know, were, were we looking at a house that was listed for 200000 and 180 was our budget and so we offered 180 but if we had offered 160, could we have potentially gotten it for 175 and saved $5,000 through the negotiation process? So I think that's what this is, right? I mean, this is the opening salvo from the owners knowing full well, full well, that it was not going to be accepted. You just hope that your initial offer isn't so lowball that it makes the other people mad to the point that they're like, you know what? I don't care what you offer from this point forward. I'm not dealing with you.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.